0: Hi, and welcome to the Design Systems Podcast. This podcast is about the place where design and development overlap. We talk with experts to get their point of view about trends in design, code, and how it relates to the world around us. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Knapsack. Check us out at knapsack.cloud. If you want to get in touch with the show, ask some questions, or generally tell us what you think, go ahead and tweet us at the DSPod. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, Nick, welcome to the program. Glad to have you here. Thanks. Uh, glad to be here. Nick is in a really interesting position. He's been uh, managing a design system for ExxonMobil for about four years now, started out in 2016. I'm really excited to talk with you about kind of the evolution of this, how this has grown and come to pass. Um, Really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Yeah, happy to be here. Design systems are a topic I'm very passionate about, so uh, glad to talk shop. So 2016 was pretty early on to be thinking even about the term design systems. I think I first became familiar with it around that same time. What did a design system in 2016 really look like?
1: Yeah, great, great question. Um, I mean, for us, uh, we've got a, a large company and uh, a lot of people that are building various things in various business lines and different areas. And for us, it looked like a way to help accelerate the development and design work that was going on in the company. And so for us, it had to be something more than a PDF document that may or may not get followed. And so for us, it had to be something that uh, even developers with very little design assistance could pick up and make use of to build you know cohesive and kind of on brand and UX compliant applications uh, quickly. So that's kind of what it meant to us.
0: So this was kind of replacing like a a static style guide sort of viewpoint that you guys had done previously.
1: I mean, there was maybe a little bit of that. Honestly, it was replacing the Wild West, where people could really just go pick up any frameworks or other uh, things from uh, the public space uh, that could help them to, to make something. And so we really didn't have a good cohesive set of UI components and design system elements uh, that people could use. And so um, it was really just a chance to introduce something uh, into a space where we kind of had a void at the time.
0: Gotcha. And so like this was a pretty new concept. Like, how did you even run into to this conceptual model of components and, uh, uh, you know, more living, breathing kind of apparatus for managing the Exxon brand?
1: So I guess we kind of have to kind of look at where we were in our timeline of adopting design practices overall. Uh, Because, you know, we we have a company that's been in business for over 100 years. And in our IT function, we have a lot of people that are making apps, supporting apps, both in-house built as well as some vendor vendor created. So it's a, a diverse ecosystem. It's not like a single product company where, you know, everybody's focused on that product. We have all kinds of different systems and applications and platforms that are being used. And so in that environment, we just about a couple years prior to getting into the design system space we started to introduce human centered design and user experience into the organization and we did this for a number of reasons and you know i won't go over all of those here but the organization was just starting to learn what good user experience meant and how we could implement that at scale in the organization and you know we didn't have a thousand designers we hadn't got the license to go hire a bunch of those people like that. so we had some people that we brought in from the outside and they had experience doing design in large enterprises and we learned from them and so they brought in a lot of this expertise to say uh, if we want to accelerate and amplify the value of design and how we can scale this capability, we could use something like a design system. There's other companies that we've worked at or we've seen that have introduced these. This could be something that could help us in our context here.
0: And that's awesome. yeah, it's it's a great journey to think about this broader idea of I mean, being wise and thoughtful about design broadly and user experience broadly and then using this as a very specific example of of implementing that across a, a large organization that obviously has a lot of of scale to deal with.
1: That's right. And you know, one of the things that, is different for us than maybe others that started out on a design system journey um, is that we had to serve a a really interesting kind of uh, ecosystem of development teams that didn't have any access to designers at the time. And so we, we couldn't just ask people to go apply user experience best practices. We needed to give them a tool, a way that doing the right thing actually was the easiest thing for them. And so that's where the thought of making this design system something that lives in code and obviously has the documentation and the UX kind of input and influence to to make it robust, but it had to be something they could just pick up and use in their project right away instead of going to reach for that, you know, other other project or framework or front-end library that might be out there.
0: Yeah, that democratization of that that playbook for design, right? Like that idea that you know, you don't necessarily have to have a designer to go and make these these design choices as a, as a developer, but it's a really good idea to have that designer or that group of designers thinking about that when you you offer that system and that rule set. That's right.
1: How can you scale the impact of, of what design capability you do have to more people and quickly and also help your designers to focus on the higher value things, right? Not reinventing the button or the drop down menu for the thousandth time, but instead Doing that and then having that available so we can then go solve some of the higher value problems. Since we don't have a lot of designers to go around, we want to have them focused on the really meaningful work.
0: So it's really interesting when I think about this, like most organizations that we've encountered, there's some sort of insurgency or some sort of, of, you know, uh, quasi-separatist group that is like, we're going to go build a design system. And then that gains adoption, it shows value, and then that starts to spread you know, kind of like wildfire across an organization to, you know, 12, 18 months in, uh, you start to see this shift where instead of like individual product teams adopting a design system, the organization talks about adopting a design system. It sounds like you guys started... A little closer to that organization level adoption from the get-go because of this broader initiative. Is that right? And how did that kind of like impact the way you thought about it from the jump?
1: No, that's exactly right. Um, we we did kind of start at that point knowing that this needed to be a product that would serve the broader organization. Um, we had started already some of this kind of broad enabling work out of the team that I was in at the time. And it came in the form of, you know, teaching the organization about user centered design or um, kind of bringing in some tools that more people in the community could use. And so a design system felt like a, a natural extension of what we were already doing in that kind of enabling and teaching space. And the thing that we had to really do was convince people to spend money on this we needed to have a big prize as well. So it, it wasn't just about, you know, helping one team to be more effective to really show the scale of what a solution like this could be. We needed to kind of multiply that out across many teams in, in the organization. And so that meant we had to go kind of big tent in how we thought about it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. The idea that that we want to capture as much value as we can out of this, because, you know, one of the things that I think is is difficult just for human beings in general is, is that idea of exponential growth or exponential savings. And when you think about the value of a design system, it is really multiplied exponentially across the number of digital applications, digital products that are using it. And I can assume that with an organization as big as yours, you have hundreds of these products across the organization, some that face customers, some that just face internally. And I assume that the diversity of that and the complexity of that is, is challenging not just from thinking about how the design system serves those needs, but actually getting people to use it. And so biting off this giant hunk of work at this really organization-wide level, how do you tackle not just getting people to adopt it, but getting people to use it the right way? Yeah,
1: great question. And you're right about the fact that there are hundreds of apps that could potentially use a design system like the one that we created. And We had to look at that entire ecosystem and different kinds of apps, like you said, some consumer facing, some internal facing, some that are, you know, highly scientific, complex desktop applications, some that are used in, you know, mobile apps and things like that. And so finding that um, kind of common set of tools and components that we would want to include and a set of principles that would, you know, provide something that was useful, but also flexible enough to meet the, that range of needs. That was a tricky thing. And, you know, we intentionally probably missed some of the use cases because we just couldn't do everything, right? You don't want your design system to, to do a hundred percent of the, the, the design problem or solve hundred percent of the design problems that you have. You wanted to solve, you know, the 80% so that you can focus on some of those more complex or um, outlier kinds of cases. And so that's, that was a tricky exercise, but we actually, you know, did, I mean, Followed our user centered approach of interviewing the different teams that were out there, doing the UI inventory of the different apps and kind of we looked at not every app obviously, but some of the bigger ones, some of the bigger kinds of ones in different categories throughout the organization, so that we could really get a sense of um, are we creating something that is for our users, our ecosystem here, not just what we see, you know, some of these other public design systems doing in their component libraries, but the components that are actually going to be used and serve our needs. And that's, that's not always the same thing.
0: Yeah. That's a really interesting take on it. The, the idea of like, what do you, what do you include? What do you call, especially in a, an app that has a diverse scientific and analytical need in some places and uh, a marketing need in others. And uh, you know, mm-hmm. everything from, I assume like, like HR and, and all sorts of other different applications. Um, so how do you look at making those decisions? Is that guided by those principles you mentioned?
1: Well, I'd say uh, one of the, roles that I had in the project was uh, as sort of the evangelizer and the stakeholder manager and the teacher and the communicator to kind of share our vision as much as possible with different folks in the organization to listen to when some of these folks had concerns or worries. So I was basically doing what amounted to like a, a roadshow and probably giving the same kind of talk and presentation about what this design system could be mm-hmm. probably to 20 different groups over the course of the you know 16 weeks that we were working on our first version. And so I was spending a lot of time just talking and listening and interacting with the organization. I was not the one who was, you know, writing the code for the components or, you know, using um, uh, element collages to kind of map out some of the potential design directions we could go. I was helping to facilitate feedback and critique of that process from this large group within the organization that we considered our customers, our stakeholders.
0: So who were those customers and, and what were you selling them? Because I think that that is a really interesting concept, right? This idea of internal evangelism is something we've, we've touched on before, but we haven't gotten really very specific about what that looks like because you know, I, my assumption is is that you what you're doing is you're you're talking about a better way of doing things. You're talking about that future, that that thing that we talked about at the start, right? Where it's mm-hmm. consistency, maintainability, this ability to scale your innovation across all your different digital products. But what does that message actually look like, and who who did you really focus on with that message when you would go to all these other different stakeholder groups?
1: Yeah, so the message that we landed on was, um, and it, it, forgive me, it's been you know several years since I gave that talk uh, over and over, but uh, the message we focus on was enabling design and development teams to create better, more cohesive apps faster. Gotcha. And and so it was it was really about applying good UX principles where you maybe don't have access to a designer. A lot of the organization was starting to ask for and demand and need um, and see the value in good user experience um, practices, but they didn't necessarily know how to go about getting it or they didn't know how to get their people trained up fast enough to really deliver on this. Um, And so, so people already wanted this thing. Here was a way that we could give it to them or they could get it more accessibly we also uh you know would have to appeal to the designers in particular and this was always a hard thing in the design system space for the people who are not the designers working on the design system but those that are Expected to use it, right? You know, you're taking away, you know, my fun and my creativity and those kind of things. And you know, not all designers would react that way, but some do, and they they think, you know, okay, so where's the where's the interesting things that I get to keep working on when I have a design system that answers so many of the questions that I have? And uh, and so we have a different conversation with uh, with designers than we might with developers or other stakeholders.
0: No, and thinking about that kind of collaboration standpoint of how do I get people that traditionally had been separate disciplines or, or people that had not had any exposure to the, the other side, if you will, at all. And then, you know, uh, just bringing on your first round of, of real designers into these teams, you know, what kind of training and what kind of focus did you put on that in terms of, of getting a, a forum or a place for these people to work together?
1: Yeah, it's so interesting that you ask that because that's one of the things that we didn't plan on as a benefit of this design system uh, endeavor that we went on or this journey that we went on. But instead, we, we found that having a design system or even the process of creating one brought people together that weren't really talking about their different crafts and practices um, on a regular basis or really even had a place to go do that. And so having a design system project... And roll out gave us a couple things we had a uh, kind of an internal community that we started to develop, and this was a you know online discussion board kind of thing and anyone could come in hear the latest, maybe ask questions, maybe you know talk about how they were using it or concerns they had and then people in completely different parts of the organization could come and talk about well you know one of the examples was a lot of the developers were very used to using icon fonts as a very quick and easy way to implement icons uh, in their apps. And it is easy from a markup standpoint, but there are other downsides from accessibility standpoint and other other places that icon fonts aren't always the best. And SVG was the the kind of icon system that we wanted to implement within uh, our design system.
0: It's gonna be a spicy take on Twitter for that one.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. And we have you know some really uh, passionate people about some of these subjects, but you know, without a place to come together and talk about them, you know, they, there's no way to be productive in this conversation or to teach people things or learn new things through some of these conversations. And that was one of the things that was really, really valuable that we didn't plan on or predict, but it was a really great side effect of the project.
0: So that cross-pollinization of ideas really just kind of made you guys have a better team cohesion as a whole. And I guess create a lot more understanding between the different disciplines of the constraints and the factors that were important to them.
1: That's right. And, and you know, it's a continual learning process, right? I'm sure we haven't figured all of it out and there's more things being discussed today. Um, I'm sure that uh, we still haven't settled on, you know, whether it's how to say GIF or whatever else. But um, I think that the having this place that we could come together was a way that we started that conversation. And I think that that's one of the things that I'm most passionate about, about design systems is how they can be something that connects people uh, and ideas and practices throughout a large
0: organization. So how has that changed since, since 2016? So you had all these people that, you know, it's kind of the first time really working deeply together. It sounds like they spent all this time cross pollinating. They had these internal forums with which to sort of facilitate that conversation as your design systems evolved over the past, you know, four or five years, how has that conversation evolved as well? I'm really curious to hear like what that looks like right now and how you guys continue to focus on that cross-pollinization.
1: It's one of the things that I I wish I could turn back the clock and you know kind of set in motion a different path because one of the things that we we found as we went through this big effort to launch this design system and we had a lot of support from senior leadership through the organization, we didn't make a strong enough explanation or pitch or what have you for this living on as a product that has a dedicated team supporting it. And what that meant for us was that we had you know, half a person here, a quarter of a person here Mm -hmm. that was supposed to be assigned to be helping to drive forward this design system, facilitate the conversation ongoing and help to uh, make this product better. And, you know, with anything that's less than a full person, you're borderline zero percent of a person, right? Because it just in practice, we get caught up in other things and it just doesn't become a priority.
0: Yeah, It's not your focus.
1: That's right. It's not your focus. And, you know, nobody's told you you're accountable for this and this only. And so, you know, it just happens. It's human nature, I think. And so we found ourselves in a period of probably about 3 years after rolling out the design system where we we didn't really drive forward that conversation much. Yes, the forum was still there, people could interact, but we didn't have a team that was helping to facilitate that to listen to the feedback to, you know, respond to the needs of the community through that and to help moderate that kind of overall conversation and how the the organization worked with this tool. So I'd say we sort of had a had a period of about 3 years there that finally ended uh, last year when we got a full-time dedicated individual to be the product lead and design lead for this design system going forward. Somebody that has really done a fantastic job of resurrecting kind of the, the, the interest and the enthusiasm for the, the design system overall. It had been used all these years, but you know, there were some just known issues and known things that people weren't satisfied with that we hadn't addressed. And so now he's had a great chance to build that roadmap, bring together that coalition again and have even like a council of people representing the different parts of the organization that can help to make these decisions about how to drive it forward, help to kind of, you know, answer where we need answers and decisions on certain kinds of decisions that we can make about, you know, icon fonts versus SVGs, for example, like those are the kinds of things that this council now can help to decide for the overall organization. So we've matured in how those conversations run when we have kind of people dedicated to running that.
0: Do they have a really cool name for this council?
1: Oh, it's the Unity Council.
0: Yes. The Unity Council.
1: Yes. Gotcha. Oh, I mean, our design system is called Unity, so it kind of makes sense. Okay, but that makes sense. But we also have a lot of fun with that name.
0: I, I definitely <laughs> see like a bunch of people with like lightsabers and robes sitting around a room or something like that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, m- robes are part of the required requirement. Yeah, yes,
0: that's great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, kind of circling back to a point you made earlier, So you're talking about you know the creation of value through this design system and you, how you had to to really show the organization that you were able to create value at a really large scale. And you were looking at doing that by, you know, tackling a a big bite of this apple of, of basically saying, how do I get as many products on this thing as quickly as possible to show the value of the system? And then, you know, in the, the second side of it, you really didn't have ownership at a product level for this for about three years. So I guess, you know, what was the value that you would really promised to the organization and did that reflect in the organization's support of the project? And, and if it didn't, how did you make that transition?
1: So really, yeah, I've already set the stage that, you know, we had sort of a period where we didn't invest what we really needed to, I feel. Um, and so, yeah, you, you might wonder were people using it? Is it still alive today? Um, and, and and it is. And it was really surprising to me because I could totally see a, a scenario where you launch something into the world and then you don't have a dedicated team to support it and kind of make it better and listen and improve it. And it just kind of withers on the vine.
0: I would say that's actually a really common story. Exactly. And so I,
1: I would have totally expected that without having that focus. But that didn't happen Completely. And there's a couple of reasons why I think. One is, I still think we created a product that filled a gap. It met a need that the organization had. And though we never mandated it, and that's another interesting thing we might come back to, but we never mandated the use of the design system, but yet I would still walk down the halls and see uh, somebody's screen and oh, there's a product made using unity. I'd never seen that before. And this was, uh, I'd never seen that particular product, but I would see this on a regular basis, more and more apps, more and more websites and products internally were using this design system. And so you you look at that and you think, Well, goodness, if more and more people without us doing a bunch of marketing and evangelism and improvements to the product are using it, we must have done something right in the first place. And it's still filling a need that the company has, which is good. And so that was encouraging. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm never satisfied with just, you know, you know, doing the minimum. I want this thing to get better. I want this thing to meet more of the needs that um, the organization has and really treat it as a product that, you know, focuses on the needs uh, that we hear from our users. So... um, that was one reason. So one reason was that I think it filled a need. The other was there were a few passionate people that weren't required to fill a role in the community to to lead or spend their time on this, but they did anyway. And so while we had this forum still kind of it was out there, it was it was Active, anyone could contribute. There were a few people that would answer any questions that people brought up in the organization. That wasn't their day job to do it, but they just were passionate about development and supporting people in this space. And that was a way that they could contribute back. And we thought that was uh, really cool to see. So some people that have passion for these design system projects, they may kind of help keep this thing moving along, even if that's not something that you, you know, set as part of their formal responsibilities. Sort of that community uh, what do you call it? It's like the kind of the open source mindset of how we can keep this thing going. Um, I think that's the other thing that I saw that really helped us to at least maintain some traction during those three years.
0: That's awesome. Like that's a really interesting take on an internal community driven design system where it's focused on a broad scale adoption, but with really a few dedicated people working to support it.
1: Well, I was just going to say one of the ways that we saw this kind of play out was we intentionally created the design system to be as general purpose as possible. So we didn't build into it a full tech stack to say like, all right, you're going to be using, you know, this JavaScript framework for your front end, and you're going to be using, you know, these other kind of uh, frameworks. We wanted to go as vanilla as possible mm-hmm. with the, the basic uh, design system. And what that meant was we could apply it in the most broad set of platforms and spaces. But what it also meant was that when people did want to use their specific tech stacks, sometimes they had to do a little extra work to get it kind of integrated in, whether, you know, would that be Angular or Vue.js or other things that are out there, right? And we started to see, though, that even though a central team wasn't doing that, some of these people who are passionate and working on projects using these frameworks, they just made their own repositories and started to contribute to those and share them with the community. And so it was another really cool aspect of how we saw if you deliver something kind of basic to get the ball rolling, other people will take it and they'll kind of take it and create their derivative works out of it and make something that the rest of the organization can still benefit from.
0: Did those ever get folded into the main design system team or is the the Unity core still something that is broadly more flexible with kind of these independently maintained pieces of it.
1: Yeah, the core is still pretty much the the same as it was. Um, but we, of course, you know, link out to and provide, uh, you know, acknowledgement of the other creators who are in this space and working. Um, some of it we, we've talked about bringing in and rolling in to be more formally supported. But the need hasn't been strong enough yet because it's kind of been continuing to move. And I'd say our, our lead who's working in the space full-time now is plugged into those different uh, kind of communities and uh, other kind of passionate developers that are out there in the organization that have created these. And, you know, we continue to make sure that we're in, in contact and, you know, we're supporting them in whatever ways we can from a central position as well.
0: Gotcha. So is your guys centralized system, predominantly HTML and CSS, and then the specific framework implementations are done by these individuals sort or of derivative teams?
1: Yep, exactly right.
0: Yeah, so I guess that kind of leads me to how the organization's expectations for the design system have changed. You went from this thing that was like this nascent idea of how do we adopt a a better sense of design within our our whole organization back four years ago, showed a tremendous amount of value, but still struggled with buy-in. What does the organization look to the design system today? Like, how is it viewed?
1: That's a really, really good question. And I'll just say transparently, I I haven't asked the organization recently to get a good pulse check on that. Our, our lead may have some better insights into that, uh, that um, he's uh, got his finger more on the pulse right now, but I don't know. I, I would like to say that it's sort of a just a part of the fabric of how we work now. And so it, it's less about like, oh, here's a play that we can make to speed up our development time and we can mm-hmm. incorporate good UX practices. I think it's more of just it's a tool in our toolkit now, and it's one that is used because that's that's the tool that we've made available for this kind of work.
0: No, and That's totally a valid answer to say that that essentially like it's become the way you work. Mm-hmm. I think that that is is a point of view for an organization, regardless of, of who is saying it, if it's just something that's incorporated into it, especially, like you said, without mandating it. Um, right. And so you, you end up in this place where. If the majority of people are using it of their own volition, that is a, a pretty solid, albeit, you know, bottom up opinion, but a, a strong sort of, of vote and confidence for what you've built.
1: Well, and to build on that, one of the things that we were faced with when we rolled it out initially was whether or not to mandate it. And we actually had a, a senior leader in the organization who you know ultimately was kind of sponsoring the effort, a vice president, who wanted us to mandate it. And we weren't ready for that. Uh, for a couple reasons and the answer that we gave was we want to make sure that this tool is actually the right and the best tool for the job and this is our first foray into an enterprise scale design system if we go out and we mandate something before we've really had some good runtime with it to understand you know where it's missing the mark or where or maybe where it's doing a great job but if we don't have some runtime with it We aren't going to be confident that we are mandating something that's going to actually help the organization. We think it will, but we are not sure. And we don't want to risk, you know, alienating our users by forcing down their throat something that isn't going to help them. So that was one part of the argument. The other part was if we mandate it, then we can just sit on our laurels and not you know, have to improve this thing, right? Because it's mandated. So now it's just their problem to deal with. We we wanted to, you know, maybe we just a sucker for pain, but we wanted to have the heat still on us so that we felt like this was something essentially that we need to be responsive to the organization. We need to listen. We need to improve. We need to make sure that it's still the right tool for the job.
0: I love the idea of using this kind of open marketplace of of you know, you don't have to use the design system. There's still all these other alternatives that are out there. Roll your own, do something entirely different. But yet still having people come back to choosing it is is kind of an interesting way of viewing your your consumers inside of an organization as these people that have this this freedom of choice. So it's up to you. It's incumbent upon you to build the best possible product that makes them want to choose the design system instead of be mandated to choose the design system. I really like that concept.
1: We uh, we actually um, uh, made our counter proposal to this VP and said, give us six months. We'll come back and we can have the conversation again in six months. If it looks like, you know, we we should be mandating it then. OK, let's have that conversation. But let's give us six months and uh, six months passed and the heat wasn't on because people were using it. It seemed like it was gaining traction. And so we never had to take that step to go and, and mandate it. And it's something that I'm I'm happy about to this day. Are there some cases where, you know, we probably should have used it and didn't? Yes, there are some of those throughout the organization. But I've got to say there's enough where we are reaching for that tool and using it. That I'm confident in that decision that we made several years ago, and we keep it as a optional, though uh, encouraged and supported, uh, tool that people can use.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, we've talked a lot about kind of you know how this has been built, the historical context. What are you guys working on now? What's the next thing that you're going to do to to continue to make this better and more awesome for the consumers using it?
1: Yeah. Great question. So yeah, kind of getting you the idea of what's on the roadmap uh, for the design system. Some of the sort of the governance and how we change and make decisions about how we change the design system is something that we are really putting a lot of thought into now. So you know, when we didn't have people full time to you know make changes and work and change the thing over the you know three years, uh, the dark period, we uh, we of course you know didn't really have to think about that governance too much because there wasn't anything changing. But now that we have things changing and we have people that have time devoted to this. And we still have people with opinions across the organization like we always have. We come down to how do we make a decision about proposed changes to this design system? And what are the ways that we you know, harvest some of the good work that's been done that extended the design system in a way that we didn't create it for in the first place, or maybe it's a variation on a control or, uh, filling a gap in the design system, you know, component library that we just didn't have anything for and somebody needed for their project. And so they created, what do we do with those things? Because that's a way that we can also honestly get some free work, so to speak for the design system, uh, product so that we can roll that back in, think about how to generalize it and make sure that it meshes well with the rest of the kind of principles of how we design the design system.
0: And you can see like the derivative systems being a part of that. I mean, you know, I, I love talking governance, right? I could, I could talk all day about it. I think that it's one of the most essential parts to a successful design system. You know, it makes me sort of, of smile with delight and glee, uh, which is not something people usually say when they hear the word governance. But the ability to basically understand how you can take this system that has, by and large, been been intentional but organic... And then create some some streamlined ways that you can see contribution, attribution, and use of that system across a, a very broad ecosystem. That sounds like a really fascinating problem to tackle.
1: Can I give you an interesting case study there? We had a uh, an effort uh, that started about, um, I don't know, a couple months ago that we are finally I'll say finally, uh, because I, I know these things take time. We're setting up an internal kind of single source for all uh, design resources, design teams and services that are provided in, internally, sort of a, our in-house design practice website. And that's something that, you know, uh, yes, yeah, should we have had it years ago? Probably. Um, but we're, we're just getting around to it. And the the question came up. Because the person who runs the design system uh now is is on the project team the question came up how much do we apply the design system as is versus how much do we use this as an opportunity to stretch and grow and evolve some of the design system components as sort of a a, a chance to try some new things um what better place to do that than on the design you know practice website internally but but you get these different opinions on that because you get some people that say well if we diverge too far from it, then are we not supporting the product that we're asking everyone else to use? And then at the same time, we're saying, well, but when are you going to take chances and try to stretch things out and do new things, if not on a project like that? And so that's been a really interesting conversation. And, you know, I I have a role as sort of kind of mediator and, you know, continue to kind of help with the stakeholder management and think about those things and, and how best we kind of come to resolution.
0: So I love that that part of governance and it's something that we don't often get to. We do a lot of governance work with with large enterprises. And one of the things that I'm always very eager to talk about but oftentimes doesn't end up being a part of the core conversation is how do you capture innovation? You know, you you have the traditional idea of how you build digital products, right? Where you have product team A, product team B, product team C each of them is off innovating in their own individual product space but it's very hard to roll any of the innovation from product a into product b or product c so where is this like space for innovation and this space for new ideas to be injected into the design system and how do you actually like create a space for those to to flow into some sort of centralized system that could then leverage them across the ecosystem Have you guys given a lot of thought to that? And and what is the direction you're headed there?
1: Yes, we have. uh, We have given thought to that. And, um, you know, this is the question that's on our mind sometimes is like, what's what's version 2.0 like we've released you know six versions of this thing but they've all been you know iterations on the kind of primary uh, kind of uh, principles and and theme and style that we had in the original system back in 2016 and so we asked the question you know how do we take this to the next step and what's that 2.0 look like does it cover other platforms like you know are we looking at a more integrated uh, design system that covers both web as well as native mobile experiences and factoring in the different human interface guidelines of each and so that's that's an area that you know we're thinking about and One of the things that fuels our thoughts and our ideas on how we improve and iterate is to look at how people are using this in practice and see where are people pushing the boundaries where are people trying interesting things maybe failing sometimes but why did they try it what are the things that they're trying to achieve and the way that we do that is some of these are just large enterprise apps that have a user base of everyone in the company and so we kind of get to see some of those and other times it's through this council that we have um with members of some of the key kind of design and development teams across the organization they can bring forward here's some this this project that we're working on over here we can kind of share some ideas and put a proposal maybe to try adding something like this into the design system.
0: Yeah I'm really eager to sort of see large organizations like your guys is start to use their their affinity for marketplace data across their their design systems and their design organizations. I mean one of the reasons why ExxonMobil is is you know dominant in the industry right is because you guys have access to more data and more information than pretty much anybody else in the industry and likewise that's a huge opportunity across design where you have this access and this ability to both gather and understand a tremendous amount of data about your design system and see how that data is able to to influence the direction you take it i think that's a really interesting Application of like a business marketplace into a design systems concept.
1: I love the idea, and you know we've we've talked about that even back in the beginning days where we're thinking about the design system. Like you know some of the more advanced ways of implementing this, where it's all through API calls, and so you actually have you know tracking back to where people are using different components and how that actually gets used and to what degree throughout the company right now, we don't have that implemented. What we have is our manual inventory of what we're seeing out there. And, you know, there's some, you know, analytics and data that we have on where people are spending their time, uh, you know, in our reference documentation and things like that to help us get a sense of what components people are needing help with or which ones are popular or things like that. But as far as like actually incorporating it into the systems that are built with the design system, there's a frontier for us uh, still to head towards.
0: Absolutely. I'm I'm eager to hear more about what you guys tackle as these new frontiers. So so definitely looking forward to having a follow-up conversation someday. This has been really fantastic. You know, one of the things we always like to talk about on on the podcast is what are the things that you're passionate about right now? What are the projects you're working on? What are the things that you're doing either either with design systems or without that are are really exciting to you right now? So do you have anything that you want to share that you're working on that is uh really piqued your interest right now?
1: Absolutely. Um so what's really got me going right now is uh the idea of redwood trees. And so let me explain. Um, That was not what I was expecting. That's awesome. So we um, we uh, started a project a little while ago to better connect our overall kind of design practice. Our practice is not one central department. We actually have teams that are decentralized throughout uh, the company, really. And we've had informal connections between these teams for a long time. But um, we're trying to find can we make a stronger foundation to, to kind of grow from for the future? And why I said interested in redwood trees is that um, the project is called Project Redwood. And the the reason is I I learned recently that a redwood tree can grow to over 350 feet tall, but the root systems, uh, the roots down below the surface, often it's like 10 feet or less. And for a tree to be that tall with that relatively shallow root depth, you know, that seems shocking. And the answer is that how it can actually thrive for thousands of years like they have is that they interconnect with their neighboring trees. And so each of these redwoods is connected under the surface in these root systems. And that's what gives the stability and the strength and the longevity, and even allows them to share resources and nutrients and communicate through these root systems. And so that picture is what we are trying to do with our design practice. And so... Uh, This project is about kind of what are the design programs or the roots beneath the surface that we can put in place to really create that strength and that uh, longevity that we really want to have for this practice and this discipline at uh, ExxonMobil going forward.
0: That's awesome. As someone that grew up in Southern Oregon, less than an hour from from the Redwoods, uh, I love the analogy. I love the way you think about that. That sounds like a really cool project. Is there a place where people can learn more about what you're doing there?
1: Uh, not yet, but we'll uh, we'll get something out there. We do have a medium blog uh, for ExxonMobil Design, and uh, that's on the that's on the backlog to get out there on the uh, blog sometime soon. Nice.
0: Well, I look forward to hearing more about it. Absolutely. Well, hey Nick, thanks so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate you sharing your story. Really fascinating take at at a huge organization looking at at design systems at scale and all of the the little steps along the way. So really appreciate you sharing and and taking the time to talk with us.
1: My pleasure. It's always a joy to talk about design systems and uh, great to to meet you. And yeah, let's do this again sometime.
0: That's all for today. This has been another episode of the Design Systems Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like to know more about, find us on Twitter at the DS Pod. We'd love to hear from you with show ideas, recommendations, questions, or comments. As always, this pod is brought to you by Knapsack. You can check us out at knapsack.cloud. Have a great day.